Welcome to Social Workers Break Room. This is Imelda. And I'm Jennifer. And today we bring you Clinical Social Work. Tips and tricks on how to get your LCSW. And clear the closing doors. Keep your legs and arms inside the vehicle at all times. We're going podcast. We're going podcasting. <laughs> Stay with us. Okay, so today we're going to talk about how to get your LCSW. Two things we want to preface with this. One, we live in Arizona. So while we'll kind of try and give you some coloring context for what other states do, your best source of information is going to be your social work board or your board of behavioral health for your state. And we'll also get a chance to talk about global social work this season, but in most countries, social workers don't get a chance to become fully independently licensed therapists. They require Uh, more like case management roles and advocacy in other countries, and you would need to get a different degree to actually become a social work in other countries. I know, Amelda, you've had a chance to kind of talk to some folks about what social work looks like in other places. Yes, um, through the global social work trips that I've done over the past years, it's pretty different, actually. Um, In other countries, social workers work more on building communities, building programs, um, advocacy, even policy, management, etc. So when we tell them that in the U.S., a lot of our training is tied to clinical work or me- being mental health professionals, they are in for a surprise. They say like, well, that's not what we do here. So uh, I feel like the training that people receive in social work in different countries, it greatly impact how they practice and the the type of career they have. Um, I don't think other countries, I might be wrong, but I don't think other countries have a social work degree where it leads to be a licensed mental health professional. Right. I believe it's just the U.S. So in other countries, um, they have to study either counseling or marriage and family therapy or psychology um, in order to become a licensed provider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of that, we'll talk a little bit about what a clinical social worker is stateside. So you'll hear us use LCSW for this whole episode because the four states that I'm licensed in, that's what they call the terminal or final licensure for social work-based psychotherapists. But your state may use LICSW, LCSWC, and all sorts of other alphabet soup to refer to what we call LCSWs. So in most states, the LCSW is the top licensure for social work. And for most, the definition is clinical and it's based around psychotherapy. There are some states where you're lucky enough that they may accept non-psychotherapy hours like hospital social work, school social work, case management, or DCS. Uh, You may also be lucky enough to live in a state that has a macro slash case management slash generalist terminal licensure. Uh, These typically are going to have very different requirements for how you obtain your hours. And also you usually sit for a different exam like the advanced generalist exam from the ASWB, uh, which I think would be super cool and fabulous for social workers like Amelda who don't do psychotherapy as their main function, but may still want um, or may eventually in their field want to be terminally licensed. So Amelda, what if we had an LASW or a licensed advanced social work license in Arizona? Do you think that you would get one? I I think I will be interested in looking into it. Yes. I mean, it sounds like a good option for the type of work that I practice, type of social work that I practice at the moment. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, and I digress because in Arizona, that's probably a long ways off. Uh, but some of you, again, might be lucky enough to live in a state that has it. But for this episode, we're talking about the most common one. So the LCSW that you get by doing psychotherapy hours and sitting for the ASWB clinical examination. So for most states, you become eligible for your license by doing three things. So first, you're going to obtain your LMSW or registration. In most states, this is going to look like applying for your board after you've completed your master's and have sat for and passed the master's level examination. Then usually you start accruing those hours. Again, in some states like California, you don't do the master's exam and you're never actually an LMSW, you're an ACSW. In Illinois, as of January 1st, you can now get your master's level license without the exam. Hmm. And in Hawaii, there's no such thing as an LMSW. You just start accruing and qualifying hours and apply for your LCSW when you're ready. So now for more information on how to get an LMSW or about that examination, please either visit your local board's website, check out our season two episode, how to totally ace your LMSW exam, or go to our Instagram to see when we'll be hosting the next study boot camp. So while we know that that's no small feat to just go get your LMSW, um, let's say you have it. Now what? So second, you're going to need to obtain employment that would get you hours that count towards your LCSW. And this is probably the hardest part. Mm-hmm. So the first portion of this is research. So what kinds of work qualify as hours towards your LCSW? So in Arizona right now, you need 1,600 direct hours with clients that are based around assessment, diagnosis, and treatment. And for most states, your laws that are put in place by your Board of Behavioral Health or your Social Work Board um, are going to be in your kind of laws and statutes. So they'll have definitions of, you know, what exactly is treatment? What is psychotherapy? What is assessment? Um, So that you can be really clear about what jobs are going to accomplish those functions. Uh, From my experience, for the most part, these jobs are going to need for treatment to include psychotherapeutic treatment. Um, Because in the end, when you get your LCSW, it's going to be a psychotherapy license. So even though you can use your LCSW for other things like leadership, the point of having an LCSW and its main function that's unique about it is being able to do psychotherapy independently. Question. So... When we say hours, clinical hours, what does it count towards your hours? Is it just the hours that you meet with your supervisor or any face-to-face interaction with clients or both? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'll kind of frame it around what Arizona used to look like and what it looks like today. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because Arizona, I think, had really good, clear definitions. So before uh, this year, there used to be direct and indirect hours. So direct meant the actual time that you spent with the client. So the time that I spent doing your biopsychosocial, the time that you and I spent doing your treatment plan together, Mm -hmm. the time we spent in one-on-one psychotherapy, the time we spent in uh, group therapy together, those were direct hours. Then there were indirect hours. So this is the time that I was maybe spending uh, like writing or adjusting your treatment plan. Maybe I was talking to your doctor. Maybe I was going to EMDR training to be able to serve you better. Uh, So all the things that I was doing outside the session to support you would be indirect hours. Then you have supervision hours. And those are the number of hours that you meet with your supervisor. So in a lot of states, there's three different kinds of hours. In Arizona, we recently got rid of our requirement 
um, around tracking indirect hours. So Arizona used to say 3,200 and now it says 1,600 um, because those are your just your direct hours. You don't need to track your indirect anymore. Um, we'll talk a little bit more in just a moment about kind of how they split some of these out. Okay. Um, but, you know, from my experience, this is going to be jobs that include some kind of, you know, uh, again, therapeutic treatment. So it could be inpatient. It could be outpatient. Um, it often includes a lot of settings like psychiatric hospitals, intensive outpatient programs, groups, couples, families, and individual counseling. But for the most part, you're going to be looking at a job that allows you to do therapy because once you have your LCSW, you'll be able to do therapy unsupervised. Okay. So once you know what kind of job you can have, one of the other things you'll need to know is your timeframes, the number of hours, and anything specific or special to your state. So, for example, in New York, you need 3,000 hours over three years, and you can't do it any faster than three years. For Arizona, as we mentioned, it's now 1,600 direct, um, but no more than 400 can come from psychoeducation. So that would be more like if we were in a group together and I was teaching you about depression in general, not your depression, not working through your specific traumas and symptomology, but I was educating you. So mm-hmm. in Arizona, we have a cap on that. You can't do any more than, you could do more than 400 hours, but at 400 hours, it's going to stop counting towards your LCSW because they want to make sure that you can do therapy not just psychoeducation. Got it. What about case management? I feel like a lot of us, that's our background or our first step into client interaction before we go into therapeutic interventions. And a lot of our work with clients requires case management. So is there any stipulation somewhere that hours of case management can count towards LC hours or not? In most states, it's not going to count because it needs to be something clinical. So, you know, whether or not you work in a setting that accepts insurance, you want to think a little bit around kind of what those billable definitions are. So, for example, if I want to bill an insurance company for a mental health visit, I can't spend the entire visit working on food boxes and housing vouchers because while we know as social workers that those are directly tied to maybe someone's depression or anxiety, those aren't direct treatment like psychotherapeutic treatments to their depression or anxiety. So there's ways that you can weave in a little bit of case management, but overall the whole of your visit and your intervention needs to be therapeutic. So in therapeutic meaning psychotherapy versus all the different ways. So in some states, again, they'll count things like school social work, hospital social work. It's a lot more open. In a lot of states, it's very clear, you know, Arizona being one of them. It's therapy, it's therapy, it's therapy. Mm -hmm. If you're doing primarily case management, uh, either those case management hours don't count at all or that whole job doesn't count. This is so interesting because I remember during my MSW when we did when I did my capstone um, in my diagnosing class, um, quite a bit of students did their capstone capstone on case management mm-hmm. as an intervention, and you know back then I thought like well. If you are a licensed social worker or a clinical social worker, case management wouldn't count as a clinical or intervention. So why are they allowing students to do case management as an intervention for their capstones when it's not what it looks like in real life? Yeah, that's a great point. And I think one of the things, one of the terms we throw out in the field a lot is type of top of license work, which means what are the things only you can do? 
So like a BSW can do case management. That's not special um, compared to an MSW. An MSW can do therapy. That's special. A BSW can't do that. An LCSW can do intervention, therapy, diagnosis, and treatment without supervision. They can do it all by themselves. Um, So when we think about top of license work, you want people to be doing the things that only they can do. So when Mm -hmm. we think about case management, we, of course, want to meet the client where they're at and make sure that they have the most well-rounded care that they can. But if you work especially in an agency or you're someone who's like really good with kind of meso interventions, you would want to make sure that there are other case managers, social workers that are working at the top of their license or their education um, so that you can focus on the things that only you can do. Got it. So another thing in Arizona, you also need 10 observation hours. So that's where your clinical supervisor either watches you perform the group or session, or you get permission from the client to record the session and your supervisor reviews it and provides feedback. So while it's a little awkward and painful to do at the time, looking back, it's definitely part of what can transform your skill set before you go off to practice independently. So it's totally worth it. So, you know, your point too, Amelda, oftentimes our capstone in those presentations are the first time we get to try an intervention in front of other people and get that feedback. And I hope for all of you, especially those of you who want to become therapists, that you're in a setting where somebody can observe you and provide that feedback. So I really appreciate that our state makes that a requirement that at very least 10 times somebody has seen you in action they've decided that you know it's good enough or it's working to a point where you're going to be able to do that independently without that oversight and that you're getting that really clear constructive feedback about what you may need to do differently to be the best possible therapist for your client when you no longer have this kind of level of support. So you've heard me mention a lot of things and a lot of requirements so I'm going to make two suggestions here. First is you're going to get a binder, and the second is you're going to make a spreadsheet. So let's start with the spreadsheet. So in many states, you can be asked to provide proof of the hours you did and how you kind of got to the math you did. So everybody gets sick, and hopefully everyone's taking vacations, so you probably won't finish it in a perfect two years or whatever your state's time frame is. On the spreadsheet, you're going to want to lay out all those requirements and track the number of hours you spent on that category from a week-to-week basis. So for Arizona, I'd be tracking how many hours I spent directly with clients, how many hours I spent in supervision, if I did any observation hours that week, and I'd also be tracking my number of psychoeducation hours to make sure I didn't tip over 400. So you don't need to, and frankly, you shouldn't have patient information on that spreadsheet because it could be a HIPAA violation to share that with your board. And again, for the sake of um, you know the minimum necessary rule, it's a good idea to kind of keep your client's names and initials off of everything you can. So we're just going to want those hours. Um, I set mine up with different tabs at the bottom for different quarters of the year. I thought if it was two years of uh, hours that I'd get overwhelmed. So I split it up so that I can keep track of it. It's really obvious for me to see if I missed any weeks or if I'm behind on tracking them. And then I also labeled the different jobs and supervisors that the hours came from. Um, Always, please, always, always, always can't emphasize this enough. Set these spreadsheets up on your personal email or back up a copy to your personal computer often. In most states and agencies not required to keep track of your hours, you are. And if you leave a job, you may not have access to that spreadsheet or your time card or your EMR or whatever you're using to keep track of those hours. So make sure you have your own record. Mm -hmm. There's been so many times where people come back and they're like, oh, I need hours from 
10 years ago. Well, we moved DMRs. I have no idea who you are, when you worked for, when you worked here, you know, Amelda and I worked together at a place that was paper charts. There would be no way for me to figure Mm -hmm. out how often a therapist met with a particular group of clients. So it's really important to do your own tracking and keep it in a place that you will always have access to regardless of job or supervisor. Another thing you'll need besides the right kind of job is a clinical supervisor. So in many uh, states, you know, most of not all of your clinical uh, hours are going to need to come from an LCSW. And in some states, there are certain requirements to become a supervisor. So when you interview, it'll be key for you to find out, number one, if they offer clinical supervision. And number two, I'd be picky about asking who it's from. Um, I've seen people figure out like, oh, you know, we have an LCSW. It's going to be fine. You need their name. Mm -hmm. You need to run them on the board. You need to make sure that they are, uh, you know, fully licensed, in good standing, and that they have, that they're a registered clinical supervisor if your state does that. I was just going to ask that because not just any LCSW can provide supervision. They have to be registered to be able to provide supervision, correct? Correct. So in our state, you don't have to put your name on the registry, but you do have to go to the board. You have to do extra training um, and you have to go back to the board and tell them, hey, I'd like to be a clinical supervisor. Um, Again, whether or not you're listed publicly as a clinical supervisor, at least here is up to you. Um, There are states where they don't have a public registry whatsoever, but making sure that if there are additional requirements to be a clinical supervisor in your state, I don't think it would be anything out of the norm. And if anybody asked me as a clinical supervisor for proof or records that, you know, I was one, I would be happy to give that. And I really think for any of you who are going through this process, it's really important, you know, for you to obtain that. Mm-hmm. So once you figure out that you have um, a clinical supervisor and they're in good standing, that fixes your problem for the moment. Uh, but another really important question to ask is what if the person leaves? Is there another clinical supervisor on staff who could pick up the supervision? Would you have to go without? Would they hire an outside supervisor? And if so, who would pay for that person? So in some states like Arizona, you can pay for your own clinical supervisor, and they have to have certain rights of the agency to view your records. Um, So some agencies aren't comfortable with that, with a third party coming in and having access to all of the, either the EMRs or the paper charts of your clients. But here that's a requirement, is your clinical supervisor has to have unrestricted access to view your documentation. So your agency might not be okay with that, even if you pay your, your person. Um, In other states like New York, it's not legal to pay your own clinical supervisor because they believe that sets up a dual relationship. If I pay you, Imelda, how are you going to hold me accountable? Because I'm your employer in some ways. Um, So their check has to come from an agency. So figuring out if my clinical supervisor is gone tomorrow, what happens to me in my clinical supervision is really important. Some agencies are huge and they might have 10 clinical supervisors on staff and it might have happened before and you might be fine. But if you're at an agency where there's only one, What happens if that one goes? What's going to happen to your hours and your supervision process? Because then you might be in the position of either deciding to go without, of paying out of pocket unexpectedly, or be looking for another job if this is something really important to you. So really good for you to know that upfront when you're picking this dream job that gets your LCSW. All right, so let's say you've determined that your agency has a clinical supervisor. Uh, You're going to need to keep track of these Mm -hmm. clinical supervision sessions. So in some states like Arizona, there's a form that's going to get filled out every time you meet and you both sign it. Uh, In Arizona, it's the responsible clinical supervisor to maintain that documentation. However, 
People move, people die, people disappear. So keep your own copy in that lovely binder I mentioned earlier. And if you're in a state that doesn't require fancy, you know, kind of supervision sheets or records of it, keep track of that on your spreadsheet with maybe a sentence or two about what you talked about, just in case your supervisor disappears before you turn in your paperwork. It's a lot easier for the board to count your hours if you have really meticulous records. Mm -hmm. You know, I've worked with a number of staff who unfortunately had supervisors pass away. Um, and you know, they were like, it's not fair to have me recomplete, wow. you know, two years worth of work, but they kept really meticulous records. They're like, we met this many times. I know exactly what we talked about each week. Um, they got letters from other colleagues at that same agency saying, yep, we saw them meet. They were, you know, really together. Mm-hmm. So another plug for making sure that you don't burn any bridges on your way out and also making sure, you know, if you didn't write it down, it didn't happen. And it's not just for clients, it's for your own work too. So um, I think the important thing here is to remember that uh, the same way that we advocate for others and work for others to make sure that they have their stuff in place, then this is the time for you to do the same for yourself. Absolutely. Don't rely on supervisors or employers to keep track of all this information for you because most likely they're not, they're going, not going to do it. And so this, yeah, this is a good reminder, especially for people who like me that, you know, we haven't started the process or we are in the process of, you know, getting there eventually. Um, these are all great tips that will shorten the learning curve for a lot of us. Yeah, as absolutely. We go. Yeah. yeah, really a lot of it's learning from other people's mistakes, mm-hmm. right? Like you will hopefully continue, you know, through this podcast and other things, come across people who have the wisdom of others who have unfortunately been in situations mm-hmm. where their clinical supervisor disappears or passes away or maybe your agency goes out of business. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to get time cards from them at all. So making sure that you have what you need and exactly to Melda's point, it's the same thing that we would hope for clients, right? Like you keep a copy of your HUD voucher paperwork. You keep a copy of your address verification. You know, it's nice that the city has it, but it's better that you have it and you take it with you from place to place. Yeah, and something that I am working on as as we're talking, um, completing my application for my LMSW, um, if you if you're listening and you are a newly grad who are you know we're thinking of applying eventually for for the licensing exam, um, keep track of your start date and end date for Please. every <laughs> single job that you have. This is a mistake that I made, and now I am like, struggling to find the specific dates uh, when I worked in the past seven you know for the past seven years in different jobs. Um, because I don't keep track of that stuff, you know? Right. And so now I'm going to have to contact HR departments and there's one place that they don't, they, they closed. So if you're planning and eventually getting your license, um, even if you're still a student and you already work somewhere, just start keeping track of dates. You know, you can create a little Google sheet spreadsheet and just plug in the dates or when you started and when you finished your work or your employment with that agency or that place. So eventually future you won't have to do extra work to find all that information. 
Yeah, that's a great tip. Uh, what I do and what I did, I started this when I filled out my LMSW application for the first time, is I have two resumes. I have one that I would like apply with jobs with, and it's got like the pretty keywords, and it makes me sound like a fabulous person. Um, and it's got kind of just the essential information. And then I have a historical resume, mm. which is every job I've ever had, the full address, the name of my hiring manager, the phone number of my hiring manager, the exact day I started there, the exact day I stop. And it's really helpful, you know, for those of you who apply for apartments, who are going to someday get a mortgage, right? It doesn't just have to be for your licensure application, like keeping meticulous records of your job Mm -hmm. will help you forever. So I do it via detailed resume. Like Imelda said, you can do a spreadsheet. There's lots of different ways to keep track of it. And if you're hearing this and you're like, I've never done that. Now I feel really overwhelmed. Do it today. Start it. Start it with what you have. You don't have to go back seven years tomorrow, but start it with the job you have today. Mm-hmm. Who hired you? What date did you start? Find that offer letter. Um, keeping copies of offer letters. When you leave a job, they send you something in the mail about your COBRA benefits, so your ability to keep your medical insurance. That'll often have the date that you left your job, and it'll confirm that you left your job. So keeping anything you have that's also proof of those start and stop dates. Um, some places use those. I just went through a therapy agency who, um, I forget which insurance company, but one of them needed proof that I had started and stopped employment at my last four places of work. Yeah. Um, which So I needed all of my offer letters and I needed all of my resignation letters that I had put in. Wow. So keeping all that stuff, uh, we can't recommend it enough. I was just about mm-hmm. to tell you more things to put in your binder, but... <laughs> Whether you keep it on your computer or in a binder, you know, it will always help you to have this kinds of stuff mm-hmm. in and out of the field. So besides these supervision sheets, your detailed resume, all the good stuff, what else should you keep in this binder? Um, which I'm really glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> so I keep a few things. So first of all, a copy of my license and registration. Uh, there are some states where if you're going to be doing telehealth or if you're going to be doing any sort of counseling or therapy in person, that require you to have either your little registration tab, your little wallet card, um, or your full eight and a half by 11 license visible in the space that you work. Um, There are some states that don't require that at all. There are some states that just give you a license. There are some that give you lots and lots of paperwork. Keep all of that stuff in the binder so you know exactly where it is. I use those little clear plastic sheets and I do them front and back. So it's really easy for me to see the stuff, take it out, make a photocopy, but that's so that I don't have to three-hole punch my license, uh, which I don't think the board would find very cute when I went to turn that back into them for verification. Um, I also keep test scores, um, anything you've ever received from your board that you get in the mail, your authorization to test, uh, your congratulations that you've been approved for a license, that, hey, we've received it and we're behind and we're going to take six weeks. Uh, For different states, you may have to go get fingerprints from different places. For Pennsylvania, I had to be fingerprinted by the FBI. What? (laughs) So I have my letter from the FBI that's like, we didn't find anything on you, but... (laughs) Now we have your fingerprints at the federal level. So like, oh my be God. careful. <laughs> <laughs> so anything like that, keep that in your binder. Um, I also keep all my CEU certificates in there. Once you have any sort of license, you're going to have to get a certain number of CEUs per year. And your state's going to dictate what kinds you have to get. For Pennsylvania, I had to go through certain uh, child abuse training Um, For Florida, you have to go through particular training on HIV AIDS. For some states, you have to do uh, training around suicidality intervention. Mm -hmm. Um, Arizona and New Mexico is cultural competency. 
So different states have different requirements. And a lot of you probably go to conferences or maybe you work at a place where you have to do like health streams or any of those, you know, like video learnings that you do on the computer annually. A lot of those are actually good for CEUs. They'll tell you if they are, but print off those certificates while you're at work, while you're doing it, jam it in your binder. And then two or three years later, when you need to renew your license, it's all in one place and you can just count them out. How many am I going to use, you know, for this uh, particular registration cycle? Which states do these count for? Again, another great thing to jam in your binder. Uh, The last thing I keep in mind or did when I was going through the process is I kept a copy of the LCSW application and the rules for obtaining licensure. All the time people would ask me, well, like, how many hours is this? Or can I go over that? Or what's the number of whatever? Um, And I didn't want to have to go back to the board website and find that, like, particular page. So I just printed it out, always had it handy. It was super easy for me to, like, flip back through when I needed it. Um, you know, and then everything for my license was all in one place. It's really easy to produce um, and forbid I'm audited, you know, five years from now, I'm going to go back to that binder and everything I need is going to be in there, which is part of what helps me sleep at night. <laughs> so now we're going to say you have your magical spreadsheet that you've saved to yourself. You have your binder and you have your dream job that provides supervision. So now in most states, you're going to work for two to three years. Uh, In most places, you're going to be able to change jobs and supervisors. You're going to want to watch out for timeframes and a maximum number of supervisors. Mm. So in some states, you can only count hours for, let's say, four or six supervisors. Uh, Maybe you work at an agency where the supervisor turns over every couple months. There are going to be some agencies where you might have to toss out a month or two of hours because you can only count six supervisors. What can you do in in case that... Your supervisor changes not because of you or you changing positions or jobs. It just the agency continues changing and then you go over the maximum amount of supervisors you can get. You're going to have to pick which hours you keep. So let's say you worked with supervisor John for one month and you got 10 hours and then you worked with all of your other supervisors for, you know, three or four months apiece, I would toss out John's hours and I would just repeat them. So you can only usually count a certain maximum number of supervisors and over a certain maximum time frame. So there's not much you can do about it. Um, That might be a sign of things at the agency. Yeah, I was just going to say, maybe if you're intentionally looking for an agency or a job that will provide supervision, maybe a good question to ask in your interview is what is your retention for For your clinical supervisors? supervisors? Um, You know, how long have they been here and things like that, you know, just so I didn't know. I had no clue that there was a, a maximum number of supervisors that can um, certify your hours. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They don't want you going 10 places, you know, which makes sense, you know, changing supervisors every month. Cause that's not going to give you yeah. what you need to be proficient. But yeah. Sometimes you're totally right. It's out of your hands. So understanding exactly like Amel just said, you know, how long has this person been in place? Mm-hmm. Um, and also has there been anybody at the agency who's successfully gotten their license? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some agencies who are like, Oh yeah, no, our work totally counts. Um, I know it, it happened to somebody I knew who was working at a school and she was doing a lot of psychotherapeutic type work, but it wasn't actual psychotherapy. It was more like support groups for students. It was a lot Got of it. case management intervention. She's like, well, I'm assessing 
their social determinants of health, shouldn't that count for the assessment? And no. our board is like, no, it's assessment that leads to diagnosis. And you weren't in a setting where you were allowed to diagnose these children. Right. Um, so the board or the employment place was like, oh yeah, no problem. Like we provide LCSW supervision. You're going to be just fine. Uh, she worked for over a year, turned in all her hours to the board and they said that doesn't count. Can Do them over. Can that LCSW supervisor be reported as... Because that person is providing like false, not false supervision, but like it's not being upfront with the student or the social worker saying like you, this hours count towards your supervision, but they actually don't. I don't know. It's dicey. So if there was anything that the supervisor violated, then of course, you know, if they were providing supervision that was out of their scope of practice, but in that scenario, if the supervisor was an LCSW, again, they're independently licensed to yeah. do everything that the board licenses sure. them to do, including provide clinical supervision. Uh, most boards can answer basic questions, but they won't provide you direct or specific answers until they actually have something to review. Uh, so they won't take any kind of hypothetical scenarios mm -hmm. in a lot of states. Um, some states have a board that works very differently. In California, you could call right now and give them very specific information and they would give you a very specific answer. Most boards, if you call them, they're going to say, well, when we see your paperwork, uh, we'll review it and we'll tell you if it counts or not. But to be really clear, figuring out historically, like have people in your area been able to get their license there? You can ask someone again from the agency when you interview, you know, has, is there a human being who mm -hmm. got their license here that I can talk to and lay eyes on? Or do you know their name? Because uh, a lot of people leave agencies when they get their LCSW because they'll have much better opportunities open yeah. to them, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, you know, but is there a human being that I can go track down and make sure that her hours that she obtained here counted? which it's a little sad that you have to do that in some places. You know, agencies and clinical supervisors, you would hope, you know, really paid attention to their board tutorials and knew better or knew best about it. Mm -hmm. um, but again, as we mentioned, you know, advocating for yourself. You are the person at the end of the day who's going to bear the consequences of not having the best information. Yeah. Um, so making sure that you verify things. So in addition to maximum number of supervisors, there are some states that also have a maximum time frame. Mm. So let's say the time frame is you need 3,000 hours and no less than three years, but no more than seven years. So in addition to you can't get your license overnight but working four jobs, uh, you also can't do it over a super long time frame in a lot of states. So let's say you're only working Saturdays at a psych hospital and work the rest of the week at DCS. So that's going to take you more than seven years to get your license. You need to work more than eight hours some weeks, and that's assuming you never got sick and never took a Saturday off. So understanding also what that maximum time frame is and making sure that you're not going to exceed it. Mm -hmm. Or again, you know, maybe you got you were working very part-time in a psych hospital years ago, and you only have a hundred hours in that, you might decide that that time frame is too long and you get rid of those hours and you repeat the hundred hours at your new agency. And since you're full-time, it only takes you a couple hours, you know, to repeat the hundred hours that took you maybe a whole year to get if you were working super PRN. So yeah. making sure you understand what those time frames are. And once you've completed your hours and it will feel so good 
There are a few things in life that feel better than completing all of your LCSW hours and knowing that they're behind you. Um, and it took me four years. So most people aren't perfect, unfortunately, um, and get theirs in that neat and tidy too or whatever your state requires. If you're one of those people who gets a job right out of grad school mm. and puts their head down and gets it right away, more power to you. That is fantastic. Um, but if you talk to people in most areas, they will tell you it took much longer than the minimum mm-hmm. because that's just how life works. It's just how clients are. Everybody involved in this situation is a human being. Um, But once you have it, then you'll submit everything to your board. They'll review it. And then they'll typically give you authorization to sit for your LCSW exam. So there are some states like Utah who don't want any paperwork from you. Um, They don't even want to know you exist until after you've passed. (laughs) Um, But that's really few and far between. Most states are going to want to verify your hours because that's the tricky part, right? Mm -hmm. Passing the exam is like a yes or no. Did you pass? Uh, Did you get the hours? Were they the right kind of hours? Did you have the right time frame? Did you have the right supervisor? Did you do too much psychoeducation? Do you have all the proof? Um, Is a lot more complicated than did you pass the exam or not. So most states are going to want that first and then they'll let you test. So now speaking of the LCSW exam, so it's going to be totally similar to the LMSW exam in terms of registration, the time you get, the scoring, the number of questions, the computer program that you use, the test center rules, et cetera. Uh, As for content, you should expect a lot more questions on diagnosis, on interventions, and more challenging ethical questions. Uh, A lot of the LMSW exam, maybe not a lot, but a much bigger chunk Mm -hmm. of it for the LMSW is recall. You know, what is this statistic or like what is this medication? Uh, What is this intervention? What is the third step in community planning? Uh, Almost all the questions on the LCSW are going to be challenging situational questions. Um, So most of them will be like ethical situations where all four of the answers are correct answers, but which one is the most ethical? Which one should the social worker do first? Because again, you're not going to have a supervisor over you anymore, potentially. So they're going to continuously put you through the whole exam. All 170 questions for the most part are going to be really challenging situations. And they need to know that you can figure out how to get out of the situation or how to make sure that every every client you encounter has a good experience out of really hard places. So it's a really challenging exam, um, but again, it's going to feel really similar to the LMSW exam. So at least you'll come in hopefully with that comfort this time if you're in a state that requires it. Uh, once you've passed it, in some states you go through one more review because once you're done, you're done. You're independently licensed, responsible for all you say and do and treat without a supervisor to share that responsibility. Um, a lot of states, once you've passed, that's it. <laughs> they will print your license in the next cycle. Um, do you have to renew or is it? Yeah. So some of them will have you pay at the time that you apply. Some of them will have you pay at the time that you receive it. Um, every state works a little bit differently, but you'll typically be on the same renewal cycle that you were for your LMSW. So some states it's every two years. I'm in one state where it's like odd some years and even some years. Um, a lot of them are based on, again, exactly when you got it. Some are good for two, some are good for three. Um, but your issue date will reset to whatever date you got your LCSW. Mm. So in Arizona, thankfully, we have a program where if you just paid to renew your LMSW, um, then they give you a discount on the LCSW application. In some states, they don't care if you paid for your, to renew your LMSW yesterday and you're applying for your LCSW you today. Again. You have to pay again. Um, and wow. do not let your LMSW lapse. Don't 
Don't be the person who's like, oh, the board is going to review my application in seven to 10 business days and um, it's going to be fun. So I, I will get my LCSW before my LMSW expires in a week. No, no you will not. Uh, in Arizona right now, we're running about six months wow. to get your LCSW. New York is running pretty similar as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it takes time. So if your LMSW is going to expire while they're reviewing it, renew it. It, it can be a bummer. It can be a financial constraint, but do not let your license expire while you're waiting on your fancier license to come through. Mm-hmm. Also, since you're going to be all on your own now, um, if you haven't carried it before, which if you're listening to this, I strongly recommend that you carry individual liability insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, get liability insurance as an LCSW, please. Uh, the NASW has an RG policy. You don't have to be a member to get that policy. Um, I think that was a myth that was shared for a while. Um, being an NASW member does get you a little bit of a discount, mm-hmm. but I think it was something like $10 or $15. So don't feel like you have to be an NASW member to get their liability insurance. Uh, HPSA, that's who I have my policy through, not a plug. Um, <laughs> but there's a certain number of policies out there that are typically pretty good for um, insurance. Uh, understanding who your agency has for liability insurance and that they have the proper, they're called riders on insurance for you to be a psychotherapist. Um, that's important. And understanding what those riders mean, uh, where I just came from, uh, my agency, we had writers on our insurance policy that even though we were work from home and we did telehealth, we were not to do any sort of services from out of the country. Wow. So if I popped down to Mexico for the weekend and I saw a client, I wouldn't have been covered by the liability insurance, which would have been a big no-no. So understanding, number one, getting your own liability insurance, mm-hmm. uh, understanding what it covers. Some of them will cover you for a certain number of days in court. Some of them will cover you for some things and not others. You know, if you have sex with the clients, some of them are like, uh-uh, we won't cover you in any scenario. Some of them are like, oh, life happens. We Please don't have sex out. with the client. Please don't have sex with the client. Oh my. You learn one thing from our never. podcast. Yeah. Please never. Never. Ever. Ever, ever. Um, but get liability insurance. Understand what it covers. If you're counting on your agency's policy, uh, get nosy. You know, for a lot of things, you're going to need a copy or that certificate of insurance, you know, when they apply for insurance panels for you. Um, If you ever do CAQH um, to get paneled to take insurance yourself, you're going to need it. So if you don't have it, get it. It's, you know, for most people, I think between two and five hundred dollars a year, depending on how much coverage you want. Um, it's a small price to pay if something if something doesn't go your way on an agency or there's an ethical situation and your agency doesn't support you. Um, so if you don't have it, get it. Mm-hmm. If you really can't afford it, please get it when you become an LCSW because again, you're not under anyone else's license anymore. You're on your own. There's nobody else to usually also hold liable. There's just you. So that was some of the scary things, uh, which is not as fun. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about some of the amazing things you can do with an LCSW. So you can go into leadership. There, I'm sure you all have seen that a lot of director positions are asking for LCSWs only, even if the position has nothing to do with psychotherapy, like running a medical hospital. Um, they typically only want independently licensed folks because at a medical hospital, you're going to be competing with uh, registered nurses and doctors mm-hmm. for a lot of those positions, and they're independently licensed. They don't need mm-hmm. to work under anyone's license, so they don't want the people running their departments, you know, to be different, where they have to bring in a supervisor to come babysit you as a director. 
Um, so a lot of leadership positions, special for so psych hospitals, clinics, medical hospitals, um, and all sorts of programs love to hire LCSWs as directors. Uh, you could start to treat clients with psychotherapy in a private practice. You could set your own schedule. You can set your own rates if you do that. Um, you can also do it with a group or at an agency. And oftentimes they'll pay you much higher as an LCSW than an LMSW because it changes the insurance reimbursement. It means that you have more experience. Again, it means that they don't have to pay a supervisor um, to kind of clinically oversee you according to the state. They don't have to do that clinical supervision anymore. Um, it's also a lot easier to get travel social work jobs because mm-hmm. uh, all across the country, you know, most states have some version of an LCSW and they say, I know what that means. And that means that mm-hmm. you have worked your booty off, you have passed two exams and you have literally done thousands of hours of client contact. Sure. So there, there's no such thing as an LCSW that's a new grad. LCSWs are seasoned workers. Mm-hmm. Um, and overall, it's awesome because it's like your master's degree, unless you're unethical, nobody can take it from you. You only have to do it once and it opens up so many doors, including much fairer pay in the profession for what the work you're doing. And as always, resources for this episode are on our website, socialworkersbreakroom.com and refer to your local board's guidelines and feel free to ask any questions um, through Instagram. We always post um, on our main timeline we post um, the episode and so if you have any questions always drop a question in the comments uh, or send us a direct message if you don't want to make it public Um, we're always available for questions and and uh, we hope one day you too will be an lcsw yes thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time next time bye 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 bunny i hope you find your dad (laughs) (laughs) we both knew (laughs) We both do. There's only one way that can go.